Welcome to Canadian Defence Focus from CDR Radio, produced by Canadian Defence Review Magazine. This series of podcasts features interviews with leaders and experts in the defence industry, as well as reports and profiles on the very latest in defence technology. Hey everybody, welcome to CDR Radio. My name is Jody Atariwala, and I'm the senior staff writer for the magazine, and I will be your host for today's episode. I'm very proud and privileged to welcome to the show Major General Michael St. Louis, who is the acting commander of the Canadian Army. So without further ado, General, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. And uh, Please share a bit about yourself. Uh, I've had the privilege to meet you a number of times and to work with you and to collaborate with you on Army Stories. But I would love for you to share a little bit about yourself with our with our listeners. Hey, Jody, thank, thanks so much for that introduction and those words. And I'll, and I'll tell you, I'm kind of fired up to be able to join you today and talk about Army stuff. And that's what I like to do. That's what I love to do. And that's where I'm fortunate to, to, to work and serve at this time. So. Jody, thank you for covering the Army, for your interest, for what the Army is doing and what the Army is going to be doing in the future. You, you ask who I am. I'm Mike St. Louis. That's who I think I am. I'm an infantry officer. We, I moved with my family from Nicaragua to South Shore of Montreal as a young kid from a Canadian and Nicaraguan parents. I, after high school at 16 years old, I joined the Collège Militaire Royal de Saint-Jean and uh, have been serving ever since, uh, 35 years of service uh, going on this year. All of it once graduated from CMR in the Army as an infantry officer, um, and from that early service to more senior service where we connected in Portugal when uh, I was in charge of a multinational brigade during one of the largest NATO exercises at the time in 2015, Trident Juncture, and you came out from British Columbia came to cover land formations and uh, river crossings and tanks and armored personnel carriers maneuvers in Portugal with all of the combat gear. And I could see you were a little bit out of your, your, your environment, not being on a service combatant or covering the Navy submarine program. But from that conversation in, in 2015, I, I could not have foreseen how, how service would take me um, from brigade command to serving with the U.S. Army in the Pacific Northwest with America's First Corps as the Deputy Commanding General for Operations focused on the Indo-Pacific area of operation, the threats coming from North Korea, China, Russia, and how that theater is gaining prominence in terms of focus in security challenges. And from those two years being outside of Canada, then deployed back with the Canadian Armed Forces as Commander of the Joint Task Force Impact that is the mission in the Middle East that from Kuwait oversees our capacity building efforts in Iraq, our contribution to the coalition that is in the fight against Daesh, our training efforts with the Lebanese and Jordanian armies, and also acts as kind of a regional command and control node um, from 2019 to 2020 when tensions ra- were ra- raised during attacks by Shia militia groups and civil unrest in Lebanon and Iraq. And then having to deal with repositioning of troops when we came close to actual war against Iran as a coalition, and then tackling COVID while deployed. So three years away from Canada, 
um, between 2017 and 2020, coming back to a country that was in the middle of dealing with the pandemic, a changed country with lockdowns and restrictions and kids being taught at home and my spouse that had just went through 14 months of absence as I was deployed in the Middle East and all the uncertainty and pressure coming back, reconnecting with my family and then being given the responsibility of doing army training. Did that for 200 days. And after being in charge of army training for 200 days, some changes of senior leadership in the Canadian Armed Forces, your readers might be following some of that as it plays out in, in, in this public space. And because of some of those changes, being asked since April to be the acting army commander. So long story short, and, and, and you're going to get more of this for the next 20 minutes as each question makes me go on a full tangent of storytelling. But long story short, like who's Mike St. Louis? Mike St. Louis is this young lieutenant who, who joined in, in the early 90s, joined an army that was focused on being ready to fight the, the Soviet threat, being ready to counter that Warsaw Pact enemy, trained into being ready to fight when the call comes, and very quickly deploying into an unknown mission set that was Srebrenica, seeing 10 years of peacekeeping mission with three deployments, then deploying twice to Afghanistan after 9-11, which we could have not foreseen while we were doing peacekeeping and stability ops, going into combat into Panjway as the last battle group commander, and then having the absolute privilege to continue to serve um, at, at the ranks that came after that, deploy again as a brigadier, and just being blessed with being part of teams of teams that get to defend and stand up for our national interests. That's who you're talking to. So great to be chatting today, Jody. Wow. <clears throat> All I can say is, uh, General... <laughs> That is a, an extremely impressive portfolio of work, and um, uh, you know I, I feel very privileged to have had the had the opportunity to kind of follow your career since we met, and uh, and you've always been a gentleman, and and uh, so I'm I'm personally very thankful that that you got the nod to be in the seat that you are currently as acting commander of the army. Um, but how did it feel? How did it feel to, to you know your 200 days in training you know uh, as commander of army training and you get this phone call? I'll tell you it, it is it is very overwhelming. Um, it is humbling. It is uh, it, sometimes I, I kind of probably don't realize the the responsibility that 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 I carry as I just go about the business of um, being part of the army. But when I do take a, a chance to take a step back and and kind of do a scan of what we are looking for, of what we're tackling in terms of challenges. Yeah, there's days that it is it is daunting. And, and on those days, I have to, to reach to the rest of the team, the rest of the leaders across the Army, which is a huge institution, right? The largest component of our Canadian Armed Forces, the largest footprint of our Canadian Armed Forces distributed across the nation with the rangers in the periphery of our country and the reserves across different communities and the regular force that make up the biggest chunk of our uh, combat power, of, of our real tools that are available to the government to protect its national interests. So there are days that the challenges that we face to move our conduct and our culture to where it needs to be, to um, continue to generate army soldiers and army teams 
that deliver in operations at home and abroad while also modernizing the force. Yeah, it is, it is a daunting task. And maybe if I'm being completely honest, it probably hasn't dawned on me that I am wearing the, the, the army badge here of the army headquarters. And it, it hasn't dawned on me that I'm coming to you today from, from the office of the acting army commander. Like that is not the office where I usually hang out. That is the office I report to. But I've been hanging out in this office for, for a couple of months now. And, and it is very humbling uh, when we see all that is uh, all that we're responsible and trying to make good and deliver on the change that we're embarked on, Jody. You referenced a few things there, General, about having the army span, you know, being the largest uh, of the branches in the Canadian Armed Forces and, and the footprint that, that that entails. You mentioned the Army Rangers. Um, so how would you describe the overall status of the Canadian Army today? And um, you have a lot of objectives as, as commander, whether acting or not. Um, so, uh, you know, what are, you, what are your primary, primary objectives while being in this seat right now? Wow, that's a that's a big question. I mean, you ask me what what am I looking at? What are my objectives? What are we doing? What is the state of the army? There's 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 so much to talk about, Jody. The, the state. I'll start with trying to say like what's the state of the army? The, the state of the army um, in in some days is is a, is amazing to see. It's amazing to see how as we are slowly coming out of all the restrictions of this pandemic, we are continuing to come together to generate readiness and train individual soldiers, train teams and deliver in operations abroad and, and at home. There's other days that uh, I, I continue to be challenged with the conduct and culture and the behavior that needs to be put in place or changed or improved or corrected on if we are to be this place where um, people want to come and join and serve from whatever diverse group, from whatever gender, from whatever perspective you come from, that you find yourself and you feel you belong in this institution that has this call to defend our national interest. So there's, there's some days that it is amazing to see what we're producing and what we're doing. There's some days that the, it, it looks like a daunting task of what we need to correct. And then there are days when we look towards the future and, and we see what we need to change, invest on, modernize. And that can also become almost crippling. So what do I do? I, I try to look at one, one issue at a time. I try to look at the synergies between one issue with the other. I try to get the wins that I can, not get frustrated with the wins that I cannot deliver on. But it starts with this pivot on conduct and culture, this continued output of the army where the army succeeds wherever it gets asked to do something. And while we do that, keeping another ball in the air, like there's so many of these up in the air, they're all important in terms of modernizing and, and investing in the future force. But like through all of these efforts, you, I look and there's hundreds and hundreds of soldiers right now that are deployed in Northeastern Europe, in Latvia, as a deterrence element and against adversaries and a show of our contribution to the NATO alliance. There's hundreds of Canadian Army soldiers and officers in Ukraine that are training the Ukrainian armed forces and have been since 2014 to make them be able to withstand their adversary and their border and their own internal strife 
and challenges in their internal conflict. We're deployed in the Middle East. The mission I told you I was part of two years ago. Well, there's been two commanders since me, and they were, they're both Army Brigadier Generals. Uh, and now the Brigadier General in command was one of my battalion commanders when you and I uh, saw each other in Portugal. And he's now deployed as the commander of Joint Task Force Impact with Army soldiers that are training the Lebanese and Jordanian Armed Forces. He was recently involved with um, Army folks within his Joint Force in helping the uh, withdrawal of Afghans that worked with Canadians out of Afghanistan. So we, we are delivering in operations while have delivered, what is it, 12, 18, 20 months of COVID, delivering in the help to other agencies, like border um, agency that needed help to control our borders during the pandemic, like Health Canada that needed help in delivering, acquiring, planning and delivering the vaccine, regional and provincial authorities that need help across our dispersed and remote communities. And army folks are constantly stepping up and being, and being put in positions to deliver on what we train on. Like what's the state of the army? The army is the section of engineers in Iqaluit that is getting their watering filtering system ready to go to connect to the city system to deliver clean water to a village in a town um, that has gone without for days now. That is what the Army's doing while doing everything else that I tried to lay out uh, as I started answering your question. You know, I, I was just going to mention that because it's, it's not lost on me that the Canadian Army, yes, is engaged abroad uh, around the world, as you have described, uh, but absolutely domestically as well. And, and uh, Iqaluit, uh, and, you know, in the north is a perfect example. Um, I, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's amazing. And I, I really wonder if, if people appreciate just how, uh, how widespread the Canadian Army is in, in all the things that you do. I don't know if we need that appreciation, but there's certainly, there's a level of activity and there's a level of presence. There's a level of outputs that are being done by the whole joint force, not just the army. That doesn't get much um, coverage or it doesn't get covered as much as maybe what you see today, which is uh, some of our challenges were our conduct and culture. And I'm not saying that so that you're, um, People listening in think that I'm lamenting one or the other. We need to come. Uh, there's this is a time of reckoning of our conduct and culture. We need to uh, make good on the promise of you have to be safe in, when you are part of this team. You are joining a team that is there to inflict harm on an enemy of our country, but you do not join a team to be victimized and abused within the team. We need to. You need to join a team where you feel a sense of belonging. So having that as as the coverage. I am not lamenting that, but there are soldiers and sailors and aviators across Canada and the world who are going about the delivery of our, um, of our effects in the protection of our national interests across the board. But we are doing it that under difficult circumstances, and these circumstances are shared. Um, we all live through the same uh, pandemic uh, control measures. We all have lived through months of distancing and separation of each other, less of this human connection, this sense of belonging to teams where you can physically be with each other. 
We are also suffering from hollowness of our force. Our force has emptiness in its structure. It has structures that we're slowly getting depleted by not enough recruiting and retention for the number of people that we're leaving at each year. This is before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And this trend, while taken in itself or in isolation, was not crippling or alarming in itself. The trend year after year that gets exacerbated by 18 months of a pandemic where recruiting goes down because you cannot be in uh, connect with the people that you want to hire, you put those two things together. We are struggling to deliver all of these great effects that I just talked to you about. We are struggling through the hollowness of our force to deliver these effects. So it's the same soldiers, these same folks who are asked to do more and more and step up for, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Over the course of the summer, I had a ready force in Western Canada that trained during the year to be declared ready to serve in a, for contingency operations. And once they were certified, ready to go, one of the contingencies came up and that was join the British Columbia authorities to fight forest fires and be ready to help. And they go and deploy and are there side by side with the public authorities and are trying to control the dozens, if not uh, more, forest fires. And during that work, the Afghanistan picture starts taking shape. And the, the options for what we're going to do with the Afghanistan withdrawal start coming up. Well, these were the contingency forces that were employed in a forest fire that I had to reroll, take out put army reservists in that were willing to step, step up and take the job, get them ready for a contingency in the Afghanistan theater. These are all the same forces that have to be ready to be ready for whatever comes next. And going through all of that, through the hollowness of the forces and an additional challenge to what we do. And, and with that, I will admit, Jody, that I might be in lost track of what your question was. If you ask me, like, what ice cream flavor I like, I, I forgot. And, and, and it, it's Rocky Road, if that was your question. <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure you've been over uh, one or two Rocky Roads over your time, uh, General. But your answer is as valid as, as anything else. And it actually leads me to think, you know, with, with this force that you were talking about that's getting hollowed out, uh, that poses challenges uh, because the threats that are out there are not going away. And it actually makes me think from a land force perspective, which is, you know, your specialty, what are the threat vectors that you are tracking? You know, what are you looking at and how, how do you think the Canadian army is, um, is prepared to handle those, those vectors? Or how do you feel the army is? Well, I, you don't want to know how I feel. I mean, that we'll be here for an afternoon and I'll have to sit down. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I feel great. I'm fired up, like I said. Good. There's different aspects to answering your, your question of threat vectors. And I could go um, talking about um, near peers. Uh, I could talk about the hegemony of the United States being challenged by the rise of, of other uh, superpowers or aspirations to become a regional and superpowers. I could talk about adversaries in, in, in the physical space challenging the, the role of, of the US or challenging our alliances, 
climate affecting demographics. So a number of elements I could dwell on. But if I can take all of them and kind of put them in my specific land domain perspective, I would say we are challenged in training an army, conceiving an army, equipping an army for a future fight that is going to be a fight across multiple domains. And that might be a fight that is below the threshold of open conflict or warfare. So how do you have an army that is challenged without being challenged in the battlefield? How do you equip, train, and have a ready army that serves as a tool of national power when you are competing against an adversary that will cripple your economic infrastructure by a cyber attack? How do you train and equip an army that if employed will be defeated in the information space of media and future media and um, uh, social media without even making it to the battle space to fight the enemy and will have been defeated in the public domain or the opinion uh, because the enemy has the ability to influence that through their own means. How do you have train, equip, have a ready army that is protected across the whole electronic uh, magnetic spectrum and is not defeated the minute it deploys by assets that the enemy has where it can mess up with you in the electromagnetic spectrum from space, from the ground, from the sea, or other places. So that pan-domain ability or vulnerability when you are under the threshold of conflict is what keeps me up at night. And when I do wake up in the middle of the night, either because I'm thinking of that or my wife says I might be snoring, I don't know which <laughs> one's the true, but Maybe what both. is the art? Could be both, yeah. So what, what are we doing about it? Well, we are trying to modernize the Canadian Army within our larger Canadian Armed Forces efforts and trying to conceive structures that allow us to operate in that multi-domain below the threshold and also equip a force with the tools and widgets and equipment that it needs to succeed in that space. I, I, I talked at, at the start, Jody, of you asked me who, who Mike St. Louis is, and, and that lieutenant joined an infantry platoon that had one radio. Oh, that wow. infantry platoon of 36 soldiers had one radio. And at the start, I was carrying the radio until the troops kind of trusted me and liked me. And then the signaler said, I'll carry your radio. And, and, and together we would be this team on one radio um, that wasn't scrambled, wasn't secure, was on open comms. And I would talk to my company commander who had two radios because he needed to talk to the battalion and to me. That was it. But he had two radios. And we would move along the battle space, have readiness levels and alert levels to be able to face a Russian or Soviet attack in Europe. And that was our raison d'etre. Wow. I deployed to Afghanistan 10 years ago where every vehicle has widgets and sensors Every soldier has a micro radio to talk to every other soldier in the section where I was in a command and control post in Kandahar Airfield 
looking at three screens on different command nets, ordering the strikes from a drone that dropped a missile on a Taliban that was doing harm to my troops. That's the army of 2010. And that army is not even good enough for the army that we need in 2030, because the future army, what we need in the future is that army that can move and shoot, but has to communicate and be networked before it shoots and moves. It has to be connected in a way that we could not have envisioned um, 10 years ago, let alone 20 years ago. It has to leverage that network connectivity without being vulnerable to it, leveraging it to speed up the decision cycle and deliver the effects that it needs. I joined an army that learned to shoot, move, and communicate. The army of tomorrow needs to be networked to be able to shoot and move. And if not, we'll be defeated in spades. So that's kind of what we're tackling in terms of our challenges. That is actually a perfect segue, General, to ask you about what is the Army's Force 2025 initiative, because I suspect um, some of that is addressing all of what you just mentioned. Hopefully. Hopefully it does. That's the challenge that I put to the team. And it's a tall order. The order is, what structures does the Army need to adopt tomorrow? that are different than the structures of today, if we are to be viable in this pan-domain below the threshold of conflict? What capabilities do we not have that we need in the future? What structures do we need to man those capabilities? What type of widgets and units and regroupings do we need going forward? With an acknowledgement that because of the challenges of our hollowness of our structure to this day, not one component can do it alone. Not the regular force, the reserves, the rangers can do it alone. We have to come together as a one army team, leverage each other's strength, cover each other's vulnerabilities and weakness, and structure ourselves differently. And we are doing that. Like five years ago, we only had three regular force brigades. We now have four. There's the combat support brigade, and that is this multi-domain brigade that is in charge of electronic warfare capabilities. It is in charge of our assets that do intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, long-range unmanned aerial vehicles that feed that picture. They're in charge of doing the information operations with CIMIC and, and PSYOPs. They're in charge of doing these things that I say are pan-domain, below the threshold. And this fourth brigade didn't exist five years ago. So now you have three. Canadian mechanized brigades and one combat support brigade, this multi-domain. Our reserve brigades have been given new mission tasks and new responsibilities with our defense policy since 2015. Force 2025, the Army structure for the future is seeing how we can leverage those requirements of tomorrow, our abilities of today, and structure ourselves differently going forward. Because the current structure of our army is challenged by its hollowness and its positioning for the current fight versus filling the rank, filling the structure, and being structured for the future fight. That's the tall order that Force 2025 is, is, uh, is given, and the order will come back with decisions on 
choices to our structure, choices to our how we come together as teams, what we expect of each other's in order to deliver on that future challenge. And what is the timeline for that general? So we've been talking about it um, for a year and it is, it is coming to some space of decision within the army and within the joint force in the coming months. I, I get regular updates. There's a, a main discussion scheduled for late November in the army. And from that conversation, we will have to go to the joint force and then discuss to the joint force, hey, the army as a partner in the land domain, this is what we need to evolve. And we need to ensure that that transformation in the army serves as a waypoint to that future joint force that is going to be envisioned in 2030. So it's kind of us getting our house in order, making some hard choices, positioning, positioning the army in 2025 as a waypoint to that future joint force for 2030. But decisions will have to be made in the coming year if we are to be in the space of making the choices we need for those restructure efforts that uh, will be forthcoming. You know, it's not lost on me when I think about all of the things that you were sharing it, and I think about what I saw with you in Portugal and being cognizant of what the army does, that the soldier is being asked to do more and more and more. Um, and I find that quite fascinating because, as you said, you know, at one time you had one one radio <laughs> and now, you know, with all of the technology that's available to us, um, it's it's making I would assume that uh, soldiering, if that's a word, um, is more complex than it's ever been ever in the past. I, I, I don't disagree, but um, I, I would say that we do see. We, we do see things through our own lens and our own biases and our own experience. I know that I do, and, and I'm guilty of often seeing everything through this lens of, of what I've seen and what I've known. And sometimes I have to be put in positions to kind of reassess that and, and challenge that view. And, and while I have not been able to do much battlefield circulation in the last year because of the, the measures and, the, and the, the control that we have in place, um, I, I have been able to, to connect in some places, as currently the acting army commander, some places where we have new soldiers, new officers that are going through training in Gagetown or in, in our training center in Meaford or seeing troops in training in Edmonton and other places in the army. And you know that I'm struck with how awesome some of these folks that are joining us are. They are joining us with an ability to already communicate. I know that my son can be on his phone and having an argument with me at the same time while the TV is playing. And he's doing all three things in a way that I can barely like put a foot in front of the other without tripping over myself. But he's able to have like a clear argument with his mother while he's on YouTube and might be also chatting or talking to another friend at the same time. So you give him a uniform, and you say you have to be able to fight across all domains and whatever. He's like, yeah, where's my robot, my AU, UAV, and my widget? And then he gets frustrated where I don't have the robot to give him or the widget that he expects he would have to fight like a future soldier. So are, are folks joining us 
are different than me when I joined. Um, I didn't know how to turn the, change the frequency on my radio. And I remember when I would lose the major on the radio, I would yell at my signaler and be like, hey, come and fix my radio. And he'd be like, sir, you just switched the frequency. I'm like, whatever. I don't know how that works. So our, our folks joining us are different. Uh, they come with different skill sets, a different lived experience, different expectations. And by spending a little bit of time with them in a trench in Meaford with a young officer cadet or lieutenant, I don't remember, but I remember he was a combat engineer, big brain, PhD graduate who has a full-time job working in our engineer department of infrastructure in the military, teaching at a college part-time and being a part-time officer in our Army combat engineer unit, learning how to fight and build bridges and blow up stuff at the same time. And this person, first or second generation Canadian coming from Southeast Asia, parents that immigrated to Canada. And the one thing he had for me in the trench with two feet in the mud was asking me how he could do more. Like he was asking me literally, like, how come he cannot be doing more for the army? Like, again, I can barely put one foot in front of the other without tripping. And there's this young officer asking me how I can give him more, put more rocks in his rock sack. So you ask, is it a little bit too much and overwhelming and too much to do? Maybe, but maybe it is for me. But I think it is not too much for who's joining us and who's serving today. I just need more of them. I just need folks that are listening to your podcast to say, who was that guy? Did he start speaking in French? Doesn't matter. I want to join whatever team he's in charge of. That's what I need. I need the folks that are listening to you that come and take this opportunity to serve and see what this challenge is all about. How many, how many folks do you need? Uh, oh, my God. How many do you got? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's got to be a challenge. I, I'm, I'm, I am curious. Like, I mean, how... how uh, what is that force structure looking like? Like how, uh, how hollowed out are we at the moment? Uh, I mean, without getting into the specifics, the, like the army is the largest component within the joint force and, and our regular force establishment sits around 20,000. Our reserve force establishment sits upwards of 20,000. Our rangers, our establishment sit at 5,000. Our public servants are about at 3,000. So all of these four components coming together make up the, the Canadian Army one the Canadian Army team, um, but these structures are the establishment. Within these structures, there's hollowness in the hundreds or, or thousands of folks. And uh, you, you want you want to have a challenge. Uh, you want to join as a soldier, full time, part time, an officer, be in charge of folks. There is jobs out there. Um, more than I, I have people coming to get them. There's more vacancies than people joining, and that's a little bit of of the conundrum of transforming the force, getting after our conduct and culture, delivering on operations domestically and abroad, but leveraging a force that has this hollowness that needs attention, needs a refill. Well, uh, to my listeners out there, uh, if anybody is interested in joining the army, uh, I think there's uh, probably a place for you. And uh, General, our time has come to an end, but I just want to say thank you so much for joining me. It has been an absolute pleasure, uh, as always. And I, for one, am very thankful that you are in the position of acting commander of the Army. 
And uh, I just want to thank you again for joining me on this episode of CDR Radio. Hey, merci beaucoup. I'm, I'm the one thankful for uh, your time, uh, your curiosity, uh, your interest towards what the Army is doing and is all about. And, and I'm the one that's thankful uh, for the opportunity. Merci beaucoup. Merci beaucoup. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us on this episode of CDR uh, Radio. Please reach out to us online at CanadianDefenseReview.com and uh, see part two of our chat with the general uh, in the print issue of the magazine. Thanks, everybody. Hope you have a great day. Tune in next time for another Canadian Defence Focus podcast from CDR Radio.